San Diego loves the Padres. San Diego loves the Padres. Now let me welcome everybody to the NL West, where the SD Padres about to prove they're the best. Dodger fans act hard, but we know you're all pressed. That many hopped on the five and drove south when he left. We're America's finest city. When the Chargers moved to group, you just picked our trash. In Petco, the nicest place you've ever seen. Feeling like I'll get stabbed outside Chivas Ravine. I've seen three year olds try to eat their own play dough, but they still choke less than Kershaw. I was looking at the forecast. Hold on, dear. Tatiso turns 2022 and El Nino here. It's all good. Hey, welcome to episode one of the 2021 Draft Champions podcast. I'm your host, Zach. I'm back. We're in the draft already. Um, I figured I'd get a get some podcasts out, and um, I'm just by myself tonight. Um, sort of overslept and slept through a draft pick, and uh, it's 1 a.m., and I'm not tired because I just slept for four hours. It's been a long day. It was a crazy day today, and I just ended up passing out at like 8 o'clock after dinner. Um, so now my sleeping pattern's all fucked up. Um, you can find our Draft uh, Champions podcast at Draft Champagne on Twitter. Um, and it's a new season. Maybe we'll do things a little bit differently, but we're going to start off with, um, as you know, not a mock draft. Mock drafts are the WNBA of sports. No offense to anyone, but just, um, I can't get into them. This is, um, this $150 buy-in and we have, uh, quite a good field that we have, um, in this draft, uh, tough field. And, um, I've found this draft to be challenging already. Um, some of the players that have been coming off the board earlier than I expected that I was targeting, I wasn't able to get. Um, but before I, before I get into this, that theme song that we just had to, to start the, to start the, well, not, not a theme song, the intro song, actually it should be our theme song this year. It's uh, fitting because the San Diego Padres, as I speak, just got eliminated from the, from the 2020 postseason. Uh, it's a group of kids that did this rap that Vlad Sedler posted that I thought was fucking hilarious. And you can find you can find him on Twitter. I didn't ask him if I could use the song because I don't think it matters. But he is at Ferdy Raps, F-E-R-D-I-R-A-P-S. And they do a great um, parody of, the, of uh, California Love. And um, that's what you heard. But uh, yeah, too bad. I'd like to. I really wanted to see. I really wanted to see the Padres win, go all the way this year. But it's unfair because their pitching just sort of uh, fell apart health wise. Don't know why they didn't throw Paddock tonight. But um, I think they're going to be a force next year. Um, but um, they're an exciting team. I would. I wanted to see them. I really. I hope to see them win. If the Jays, if my Jays didn't um, pull through, but both both those teams didn't really have the the horses on the pitching staff to come come through this year, I think, um, Padres because of injury. Um, but um, of the teams left, um, like Dodgers are obviously uh, stacked and they're, they, they're, they might be the favorites to win it all, but Tampa, New York, Atlanta, they're all really good teams. Um, Houston as well. But I kind of want to, like I said on Twitter, I kind of want to see Houston win it because I think I just want to see Twitter go off and get all angry because that's what Twitter is. Everyone's just policing everyone. I don't want to get into it because it's so stupid. Uh, people are just uh, getting mad over things that they just need to relax about. Um, all right, let's get into this draft a little bit before I go off on a tangent. That's what people want to probably hear about if they're tuning into this. Um, 
We had 15 people in this draft and hold. First of all, thanks to Derek and the guys at NFBC for allowing us to do it. Um, they're going to they're going to migrate our draft over to the NFBC um, platform once we're completed because they're not opening up for business to do their drafts um, until November. So, but we have problems and we couldn't wait. So we are doing the draft now um, before the ALDS and NLDS are even over. Um, but yeah, again, a big thanks to Derek. We're just um, right now we're drafting on on the Fantrax platform, so we're just sort of using and abusing Fantrax. Shout out to Fantrax. Um, until NFBC takes over, and uh, again, thanks to Derek, he's always just so accommodating, great guy, um, and everyone over there is great too, so I appreciate them um, accommodating us, and um, it really makes things easy for me, um, but uh, also, thanks for everyone that had joined this draft, um, I don't know if they care if I mention names, but we can go through the, we can go through the field a little bit, um, uh, in no particular order, I'm, just, I'm not going to give away who picked who, because I don't know if they want that, but um uh, I'm not going to give away the draft order either, um, unless I sort of slip up during this podcast. But we have, um, we have. Um, let's start with myself. I'm in, I'm in this draft, um, and then we have uh, James Anderson. Um, obviously, needs no introduction. So that's that was a that was a pleasant surprise or unpleasant surprise, if you however want to look at it, for him joining this draft. Um, I don't think he needs any introduction. Then we have um, Justin Mason. Um, also, um, needs no introduction. Um, and then apologies for apologies to everyone else who needs an introduction. Um, maybe this guy doesn't. Johnny L from MLB Moving Averages. He's in this draft, so we got some big heavy hitters that are um, that are quite well known in the industry. Um, and my buddy John Fish, um, uh, long long time NFBC veteran. We got a lot of these a lot of these guys play NFBC a lot, and these names are very familiar to me from drafting with them last year. Uh, I know Dave Chauvain. Um, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. He's in this draft. Um, I I remember I definitely remember him from last year. I was I, at least in in one auction with him, and he me and him were going head to head in this auction. He he seems to like all the same players I like. Um, Steve Weimer, um, Chad Fleming, both those guys are taking guys that I want. Um, good my good buddy um, that I've been playing in like I guess. I wouldn't call it home leagues, but high stakes Yahoo leagues for a long time. Brian Buffamonte, great player and great friend of mine. So I'm glad he joined this. He wasn't in it in a whole lot of NFBC leagues this year, but um, he seems to be very um, excited about getting back into drafting. He usually doesn't want to get back in this early, but for some reason he does this year. Um, Brian, Brian, myself, and Mike, Mike Curland sort of all met each other, all three of us met each other playing these high stakes Yahoo leagues and that's how me and Mike became friends and Brian's sort of our friends too, a friend of ours too, but he, he sort of rips on us for like going on being like sort of in the industry jokingly, right? But um, because he, he's, he, just, he just plays, but he's he's really good player, a lot of respect for him as well, but he doesn't, he doesn't get, like, I guess he doesn't get as involved in like talking to people in the industry as much as we do and having podcasts and stuff like that. But anyways, uh, Mark Kiefer, also NFBC player, um, in this league, quite, uh, quite talkative on our, uh, in our chat right now. Um, Matt Tantillo, Kevin Hasting, the, um, current, um, winner of the, um, the current rating champion of the TGFBI. I listened to his, um, interview with Justin Mason and it was really actually good. Like, not that I'm surprised, but it's just, um, you know, people, the TGFBI is not a money league. It's not a high stakes league. But um, 
that interview, I actually took a lot away from it. So people should go back and listen to it if they can, if they can find it, because I found it really interesting and really applicable to like even this season and strategy going forward to this season. So I was getting really great. Uh, Greg Blankenship, um, very, uh, very well-known player on FBC, high stakes player. Um, and, and Joel, Joel Anthony on Twitter. I'm not going to give everyone Twitter handles, but he's also um, an FBC player along with a lot of these other guys. Um, sure know each other very well. And then Derek Lacaze, um, I don't know if he's in. I don't know if he plays in FBC too much, but he's in a lot of um, dynasty leagues, like high, like um, very deep, um, uh, very deep. Uh, I wouldn't call it high stakes, but dynasty uh, deep, um, deep rostered uh, high stakes dynasty leagues, and you can probably I see his dynasty league uh, experience showing up in his draft because he's taking some young guns. Um, his team's quite interesting. Um, uh, I don't know if I want to single him out yet, but you might be able to figure it out when I start talking about the teams. Anyways, let's go into the draft. Um, probably shouldn't have gone on that rant for uh, introducing the players, but that's just the, the field. There's quite a good field that we have with us. And again, thanks, thanks to all you guys for playing. I wanted to give everyone a little shout out. Uh, I don't think I missed anyone. Um, so I'm going to skip round one because it's fucking boring. Um, I'm not going to even mention it. That's it. Um, so let's go right into round two. Uh, round two. Will anything surprise me here? Kyle Tucker at pick 24 surprised me. Um, and some people have mentioned that as a surprising pick for how high he's gone, but I don't know. Um, I don't know if that's going to be a surprise by the time March comes around. Um, we also saw Ozzy Albies lose, lose almost no luster. He was um, he had an ADP in the early third round last year, and he had a terrible. He was a bust this year for all intents and purposes, and he's again going at the end of the second round. You um, Darvish went very early. Um, not that it's a huge surprise. He was the, se- the first pick of the second round. Um, same with Bichette. Um, nothing really too much. Nothing really uh, too big to discuss there. Um, so I'll move on to the third round. What's going on in the third round here? Um, hmm. I mentioned it, so I got to say something. Nothing stands out at me. Nothing. Um, no. I'm looking at the third round, and you're listening to me, and I'm looking. I'm not gonna. T- I'm not gonna say anything. Ah, you know what? Lance Lynn went in the third round. The, 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 I like that pick. Um, but I just think um, it's it's notable because it might be earlier than some people are expecting, um, but not really because um, I, you saw him go off in the in the fourth round of the main event last year and he was he was a great pick so no um, nothing really to note there um, round four you saw we saw Trent Grisham go in um, the the pick fifty overall and even before that Dansby Swanson I was surprised how early Swanson went he went at pick forty nine. Um, right after Anthony Rendon. Um, I don't think this would be in- indicative of what's going to happen come March. I don't think you'll have to pay that price for him. I was talking a bit offline with um, with Hasting, and um, he was bi- Hasting was big, as he mentioned on 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 his uh, in, in his interview with um, Justin Mason. Um, on Swanson last year, and he's like, ah, shit, I don't like. Now I'm now he's gonna get. I'm gonna I'm gonna get outpriced on him this year, and like that's what it's sort of about. I feel, um, like for example, last year I was huge on Kyle Lewis. I was getting him everywhere. Like 
easily. I think I, he was my most, one of my most owned players, probably my most owned player that was like a starter. Um, I was grabbing him like pick 400-ish in like November, but before things started getting uh, heated up into draft season, I was getting him easily. And then I was, I got him in both main events I did, um, but I had to get him in the early 300s there because, you know, you never know, but... And then Trent Grisham, I was big on him last year too. Um, but, but you know what? Like a one-night stand. You, you use him for one year, but you don't can't fall in love. You can't fall in love with these players and overdraft them the next year. Um, so what else to note about round four? Um, Zach Plezak ran, ran, went at the end of round four. Um, he's a guy you're not going to get any discounts on him this year, I'll tell you that. Um, and then you see Bregman and Rendon fall into round four this year. Um, again, people are um, valuing speed, but um, for this for this draft, like I don't like standalone contests. I don't think you have to look at speed, and I don't think you have to be so hell bent grabbing speed and saves in these standalone contests because this is a DC fifteen team league. No overall prize though. It's just first, second, third place are paid. There's no overall to win. So it is not as important. Five, um, what's going on in round five? Um, we got Corbin Burns fell into round five, early early round five. I think mean, it's sort of where we expected to see him go. Um, uh, what else? Aaron Judge fell into round five, which could be which could be uh, which could be could be a great deal. Austin Meadows fell into round five. I could see him slipping more and more as we go along. Um, Al- Jordan Alvarez. So this this has been a round where you see a lot of the the injured players from last year, COVID injured players fall in, and players that sort of underperform in round five. This is where you see this is where you're seeing um, the impact of players getting jumped into the early rounds, like like your Luke Voigt's, like your Dansby Swansons, like your Kevin Biggio's, Corey Seager. This round five is the result of that. So in round five, you have Javier Baez, Aaron Judge, Austin Meadows, Josh Hader, Mike Clevenger, Jordan Alvarez, Zach Granke, all in round five. So round five in this draft seemed to be the flip side of players getting pushed up into 2021 drafts that had great or encouraging signs, showed encouraging signs for the next year. Into round six, we got um, Nelson Cruz in round six, pick 81. He's fallen a bit just because he's a year older. He's a free agent. Um, um, And then you also saw at the beginning of round six, uh, we had Glaber Torres go. Now, Glaber Torres, another guy that could have fit in that round four, round five mold of players getting pushed down because other players getting pushed up. Saw Stanton go in round six. I don't think much has changed. I think when all was said and done, he was around. That he got picked at pick 84 in this draft, which is, I guess, right. Um, um, I don't know. I'm still not touching Giancarlo Stanton. Saw his home runs this postseason. That's great. Um, but the the risk is just um, too much here. Um, saw Kettle Marty get pushed down into round six. He was really... Um, a boring player this year. He was injured, and then when he wasn't injured, he was a snooze fest. So 
Uh, I'm actually surprised he went at pick 88. Well, not really surprised. I thought he might have lasted a little bit longer. Not too too long after that, J.D. Martinez is going to be a really, um, really risk-reward type player to draft this year. Did he have a, did he have a one-year blip? Is he on the Miguel Cabrera path? I don't know. Um, I don't see him as as much of a drinker as Miguel Cabrera, um, but I don't think I'll be drafting him um, at this price at pick ninety. I don't see the the math doesn't work for me on that in terms of weighing all the possible scenarios. Around six, you also saw Moncada, another guy that another faller because of. Um, um, an underwhelming season. Um, I like the pick here at pick eighty. Um, I like that pick. I think there's um, I think there's a good chance he can rebound here. Um, Dylan Bundy, like I think I mentioned that in round six, um, as expected this year to go in round six. But you're gonna again, like please Zach, you're gonna have to pay pay for Bundy. Um, a little surprised. I don't know. Like I didn't. I, I don't like personally. I'd prefer Plezak to Bundy, but I'm also surprised that the market has Plezak going two rounds ahead of him, or I guess in this case, round and a half. Um, but Bundy, <clears throat> good good buddy John Fish took him there. Um, John Fish, he won't mind because I know he shared his board on Twitter. He took him around six. Um, pitching dries up, and I think it's I think it's a decent pick, but I think um, like this just just shows you're gonna have to you're gonna have to pay up for him, and he knows that, so um, that's gonna probably be his price. Um, I was out on I was sort of out on Bundy as soon as his price went up last year. Like I was getting him in the early drafts because I start drafting in November. Uh, I was getting him in November December. Um, I got him as late as like past pick four hundred, but once his price went up to like over two fifty, I just didn't take him because I've always liked Bundy and I've always been on him. Um, because he's always been relatively cheap, and I've been dra- I've drafted him over the last several years quite a bit. He's I've, I've had a lot of shares of Bundy in the past just because of skills. I like his skill set, but the thing is, his velocity's been down, and it's not coming back up. He does he is throwing that slider now, and it's a great pitch. However, like he has been doing that for the last couple of years, um, and he has shown flashes. But over the course of a season, like he you'll see like last year he had great starts. But then he'll just have stinkers. Like he's just he has a skill set, but he's just not been good. But it was Baltimore. He's gone to a better. He's gone to a better park. He's gone to a better team. Things could change, and he he did show that he could have a brilliant sixty game season. But it's just happened in my head. Like he's he's a good pitcher, but velocity down, great skill set, but he just had bad performance. He's sort of like one of those guys that just like. Great skills, bad performance. Sort of like a Byron Buxton, who actually showed, showed great signs last year. Um, but um, I think that's a price you have to pay for him. Uh, Vladimir Guerrero has fallen, as you would expect, to, round, uh, to pick 85 here in round six. Getting a little bit of a, I guess, a discount here on him, but... You know what? He's had two years. He's not stealing bases. He's not batting the 315, 320 like he sort of hoped he would. Um, but man, he hits the ball hard. And um, he's. Um, that first base position sort of falls off, and people have maybe don't. Um, 
haven't gotten used to the fact that he's he, now he's in that first base. He's in, he's in the first base um, category. So really, after um, after who's who went at first base um, after Pete Alonso and and Voight. Uh, after that, you're looking at like I took. He went before Paul Goldschmidt, which is eh, I don't know. They're probably pretty close in value. Goldschmidt's on the decline. Um, Vladdy's got more upside. I think round six is about right for for Vladdy. Um, so let's move on into round seven. Round seven, Conforto. Um, he's a guy I think you might see move up uh, because he had a great year. Like his his pace. I think he was like on a three twenty thirty fifteen pace. Like it was insane. Like. He was like, he, he he paced out a season that you'd hope like you'd get from Juan Soto, um, almost, but he was he was good, um, so I I could see him maybe moving up boards pat like earlier than round seven once once like the main events come around, um, so I think that was a a great buy there, um, just um, I didn't take him. Um, but uh, just because we, we were talking in our chat that like all like a lot of us were sort of filled up on outfield first. Um, like I know Fish was saying that and I agreed with him. And then um, James Anderson was also saying that. Um, don't want to give away too many of the picks, but um, we just all of us were passing on some of the outfielders like in these in rounds like round seven. And Conforto was, was one of the guys that I that I was looking at, but. Just my team construct, I, I couldn't take him because um, I'll just, uh, I'll, I'll say it. I started off with um, with uh, two outfielders in the first two, in the first three rounds that were spent a lot of money on, step up, not a lot of money, but a lot of draft capital on two outfielders in the first three rounds. Um, so um, I ended up having just other areas to fill here, um, mainly infield and in and pitching and getting it closer and stuff like that. Moving on to round eight. Um, we saw Chris Paddock fall into round eight. Um, we saw Kyle Lewis go in round eight. And uh, we also saw Roberto Osuna go in round eight. Now, I know, um, I thought, I actually admit, I have to admit that I thought he had Tommy John surgery once they had that news um, bulletin that he probably needed Tommy John and everyone dropped him last year. Really just stopped paying attention to Roberto Osuna because I didn't need to, but now I found out that he didn't get Tommy John surgery and he's trying to rehab it. <clears throat> Round eight for someone that quote-unquote needed Tommy John and then didn't, um, no way, not for me. Um, also, you see um, some closers going off in that round. You saw Iglesias go, um, and you know what? You'll see closers go later in these drafts because um, you just don't, like the closer situation... Um, is just not is not um, clear yet. So you, people don't want to put the capital in it, and you see a lot of like the um, mid to lower tier closers go way way later um, in these drafts that are early because you just don't know. It's not worth the risk, which makes sense. Same way, and that's the same way that closers and starting pitchers get get moved up in the main event. Because I forget who I was talking to, but I think it's just a function of by that time, you know who, um, where the injuries are, and there's less risk of injury from the time of the draft to the time of the season, and ro- and closer roles are more known. So I think it's just getting more information closer to the season is what pushed up, pushes up the pitchers, because um, 
it's inevitable that players get injured and other pitchers get just moved up. So I think that's what's happening here. But Trevor Rosenthal here probably is the closer next year because Kirby Yates, I believe, did get Tommy John, um, I think. Um, so he's at least not going to be ready for the starter next season. So it's probably Rosenthal's job. I don't know what his contract situation is. I'm not going to look it up right now because I'm looking at the board. But um, if Rosenthal is the closer for San Diego next year, then this is a great pick in round eight. Um, round nine, um, Chapman, Matt Chapman, um, injured this year, um, got pushed back down a little bit. But um, in round nine at pick 125, Matt Chapman would be is a great value here. Um, our man, Randy Arozarena, went in round nine at pick 126. So you can decide for yourself. There's probably going to be a big um, disparity between uh, uh, who uh, people that think he should be going earlier than that or way later, but there's going to be a high variance on, on, uh, on where people think he should go. He probably will end up going pretty consistently around the same price tag because you're always going to have one, two, three, four guys in each draft. They're going to take him that are going to value him very highly and are going to take him early. So you're not going to see, I don't think you're going to see a very big variance in terms of where he gets drafted because you're always going to have that, but you're always going to have that, that idiot who drafts him so early. Um, next, uh, what do we want to talk about here? Um, Alec Baum went around nine at pick 135. I could see him moving up in drafts um, as, as, the, um, as the draft season progresses. Um, went in the same round as Matt Chapman, though. Like, I don't see him going ahead of Matt Chapman. So he probably, I don't know, because he got, let's look at the third baseman that went. You got Eugenio Suarez that went around seven. And then Chapman in round nine. Baum and also at the end of round nine. In the next round, you had Chris Bryant and Cabrian Hayes in round 10. I don't see him falling behind Hayes. I don't see him falling behind Bryant either. Um, Kyle, Kyle Seeger went around 11. I'm looking for the third baseman. J.D. Davis won in round 13 at pick 184. Justin Turner went at pick 209 in round 14. Am I missing this dude? I'm thinking of a player. Did he? How far did this guy fall? Where are the third baseman? I'm going to do a control F here. Okay, he went in round 13. Josh Donaldson. So Donaldson went before, right before J.D. Davis did. So it went um, round nine. You saw Baum go at the end of round nine. And you got Bryant in round 10. Big risk there. It could be... It's probably not going to return before me. Um, Bryant at pick 145. I don't know where you'll see him go. Or it will all shake out, but it seems about where he's probably going to go. Um, and then you saw Kyle Seeger going around 11 at pick 159. 
and Kyle Seeger went before Josh Donaldson. So I'll be honest, I completely forgot about Josh Donaldson in this draft because you got no ADP yet. Not to say I would have taken him because his calf seemed to be a problem, um, but he went around the first pick around 13 at pick 181. Um, I think that's a good value for him for like what the risk you're taking, but um, he's going around a lot of other risky players. Like in round 13, <clears throat> you also have Wander Franco being taken. Um, Wander Franco was taken at pick 186, and you saw Jared Klenick being the first uh, player with no MLB experience being taken at pick 167. So he's going really around that range of players with um, that kind of risk. And you also have Kyle Schwarber falling to 183. Um, just uh, there's I, one thing I noticed about this draft was people were not willing to, to pay for that profile of player. And maybe it could just be this draft, but you'll see Kyle Schwarber went at pick 183, which was early for that group of guys. Um, and I'll note, I'll note two other players that really fell, or maybe, I, I don't know if they, I can't really say they fell because this is the, the first draft that's happened. Um, but Gary Sanchez, like he might be out of a job, man. Like um, he fell to pick 216, like a huge drop for him. But I could see him, A, not being a starter next year, B, <clears throat> not on the Yankees next year. Um, so I don't know. Like, um, that's a, obviously a huge risk, but it is catcher. So my thoughts on Sanchez at pick 200, like he was getting, Sanchez was a 10th, 10th catcher off the board there. And even if he is like a 40% playing time catcher at that spot, like, okay, he's going to, he's going to fuck up your average for sure. But, even if he gets 40% playing time, he could still hit 20 dogs if he doesn't get hurt. If he hits like 180, but he only plays 40% of the time, he's not going to hurt your batting average as much as he would if he played 60 or 70% of the time. So it's actually kind of a plus if he plays less, and he's still going to hit more home runs than most of the other catchers getting drafted. So the the downside of him, like unless he just like completely doesn't have a job next year and they just stop playing him and he's just like, like a fucking cock on the bench, then I don't, I think, I think you're probably going to get decent value at this point. I don't, I really don't see him falling that far in the future, but he went later than I thought uh, he was going to go. Not that I love him or anything, but um, actually Mitch Garge, Mitch Garver went after him at pick 240. So you see those, those catchers that were probably like the one, the two and three catchers that was off the board last year, really take a tumble. Catcher is such a fickle position that, um, I'll, we can take a look at those catchers that, that we can, I'll take a look at the catchers where they went in this draft. And I thought about paying up for um, um, some of those catchers, but I'll get to that in a second before I, before I get um, off track of this, the, the power, the power, the low power, sorry, the, the power, low batting average players. So you got your Schwarber fell to the pick in the pick one eighties. And then Gary Sanchez went and picked two sixteen. And my boy last year, I just, I was like, these guys were teasing me to take Miguel Sano because he kept falling and falling and falling. And I didn't take him. And I, and I didn't get him. Um, because he just didn't fit my team. I already had those positions filled. So I, I, I just needed other things. But I would have taken him, given risk-reward, at, at the point before he got taken. But I just, he just didn't fit my team. So I didn't end up getting him. But he fell all the way 
to pick 263. That is, in my opinion, a very, very, very nice value for him because he's a career 240 hitter. Granted, last year and I think one other year, he had shit batting averages, but he could still hit 50 bombs. And you're almost at a place where in this draft in round 18 where like he halfway through the season, you, you can almost slide him to your bench and then throw him in when you need him. Um, if, one, if somebody on your bench hits and then you can throw him in in case of injury and then hopefully that week he goes off for five bombs. Like, man, that's, that's a nice value. Um, I probably would have grabbed him in the next round. Um, but um, yeah, that's a nice value there. Going back to the catchers. Let's look at the catchers that went off the board. I'll, t- I'll give you, and I'm saying it's a fickle position because it just it, it's sort of like quarterback in football. It's just like top quarterback one year is not the top quarterback the next year. Like it's such a, it, it just like you saw this year that um, Mitch Garver was terrible um, this year, and then Mitch Garver came out of nowhere last year in two thousand in two thousand nineteen. He was like undrafted, and then he became almost like the top catcher off the board almost. So you see quite a bit of um, shuffling in the catcher rankings year to year. So that's why I'm sort of hesitant to to grab someone. And I think there are there. We were talking about this, and people are some people were saying that um, it really drops off. You don't trust those lower catchers. I think there's a couple little gems at the end of this draft that haven't been drafted yet. That um that um that, that um are some value later on. But what you saw what you saw, and um, you can't really equate it to like the top quarterback being different every year. Because Real Muto is the, uh, the top catcher, at least for the last couple of years. He went in round three, and then you didn't. And um, I was talking to someone way earlier, and we were saying that you, you're probably going to see a huge, huge drop off from catcher one to catcher two. 104. I thought you might have. I think I, I thought you could have seen a, a wait until like pick 140, 150 for catcher two. And then you wouldn't see catcher five until maybe 200 because just because it's such a fickle position. But Will Smith. And again, he had a great night tonight. He's been great, just doesn't have like the playing time uh, locked up. Uh, but he went in the second catcher off the board, which you can't really argue with at 104. And, um, and then um, the next catcher taken was Sal Perez at 118. And then you saw, yep, Donard was taken at 137. Um, and then Christian Vasquez at 142. Wilson Contreras at 149, which I thought was a great buy relative to the other catchers. Um, after that, you saw um, Austin Nola at 188. He'll have catcher relative in next year. Grandal, which was a nice little buy at 198. McCann's a free agent next year. Um, Sean Murphy at 202. And then Gary Sanchez at 216. Pedro Severino at 225. That's kind of risky because you might see Rushman up sooner than later next year, maybe, I don't know. Um, and then um, Mitch Garver at 240. Um, just scanning through this. Our Alfaro at 270. I still believe in him, but he's just uh, he's getting sat for for, um, for Tim Wallach's son. No, I don't know if it's actually Tim Wallach's son. And then we just saw James, uh, sorry, Joey Bart, nice pick at 272. And then James McCann got taken at 282. Going to be a free agent. So that's actually um, 
that James McCann pick, because if he ends up being a starter somewhere, which he might, um, that could be very good. You might, that might, they might have um, about an 80 pick profit there at 282. If um, McCann signs, say, where would be a place where he signs that would be good? Like if he signed in like Detroit, I guess, or somewhere with some anywhere with no starting catcher that's any good. Like, um, who knows? I'm trying to think of a team if, um, that that would that would fit. Um, like, it, imagine he signs in Colorado. He'd be like in the 180s, 170s. I don't know. Anyways, so that's it. Um, let's take a look at. So I've sort I sort of stopped going through round by round, but um, I might come back to that. But notable players, so um, people with no MLB experience, what you'll see. So we saw Kalenic go, um, uh, dude, Control F. Kalenic went at pick one sixty seven. The next guy was Wander Franco, one eighty six. Mackenzie Gore went at two oh four. Should be up next year, but like I've said, like these rookie pitchers, like I took I took Pearson, Gore, um, and Spencer Howard a lot last year, man. They just didn't turn out. Year before that, I didn't I wasn't really on these guys, but Whitley and Luzardo in 2019 didn't turn out. And like you can sort of group Josh James and Pavetta. They just they're just not in these drafts, they're just so much risk taking those pitchers that have no experience because of workload and injury um, and mainly just like like opportunity concerns. It just, like, can I think of players that have worked out? Chris Paddock last year, you want, or the, sorry, the year before in 2019, but it's just so, and you also find all these guys that, that were going way later ended up being way better. Like you got Tristan McKenzie, Dane Dunning, um, Davey Garcia, um, Sixto Sanchez, Ian Anderson, all those guys going way later than Pearson, Gore, and Tristan and um, Spencer Howard. Um, just, I don't know. Is it a lesson learned? So Vaughn went at 227. Um, and uh, anyone else? Not yet, I don't think. Um, I don't see anyone else with no, with no experience. So another thing interesting in this draft is the Tommy John recovery pitchers. So let's look at where they went. Chris Sale, pick 194. Syndergaard, pick 254. Severino, pick 257. They all have in common, other than having Tommy John surgery. Same guy picked all these players. Also, same guy picked Klenick and Andrew Vaughn. Now, we're 18 rounds in when he has all these pitchers. So, five of his 18 picks are pitchers that likely will not begin the season as a player that you can start and are coming off an injury. I don't know when their recovery timetable is, but most of them, I think, I believe, like I know Syndergaard, and I know Sale had Tommy John surgery, like in March. Um, Severino, I don't quite remember, but I think it was also early, so they could like they'll be back next year. Probably not in April. I would, I would assume they're back. Like if I were just to make a, uh, 
a non-doctor call on this, I would just assume they're back in June. So you're two months out on these guys. Vaughn, like, I don't know. When would when could he be up? He could be up in April. Clinic, you know, a clinic should be up in April. Um, but you're gonna have holes in your lineup. Probably like I'd say the I'd say the app for those five players, the average hole in your lineup is gonna be probably a month. So the six month season, you have you have black holes for one month on average for five of your players. So that's going to be interesting. Like, like definitely some of those players are targets, but just looking at the rest of his team, he also took um, Mike Soroka as well, but he should be back. He should be, I, I'd, expect, I'd expect him back at the beginning of spring. But, um, and he also has Jordan Alvarez. Both of those players are coming off injuries too. So he, he was, he's, he's getting all these, like, I guess, quote-unquote sneaky picks. Soroka was a nice value too. They're all good values. But he spent a lot of picks, and he, he, I think he's maybe looking for values on a lot of these players. Um, but relative to last year, maybe, I don't know, I don't want to say anything because um, I think some of these players are, could yield a, a lot of profit. Um, but there's a lot of risk here. There's, it's a big risk-reward team. This is Team 14, if, you, if we've, posted, we've posted the draft. Bregman in round four was a nice value relative to his draft last year. Got Alvarez, Glaber Torres, Chris Paddock in round eight. Um, and then you have Soroka Sale. His pitching staff is started off great, Bauer and Galen. And then Paddock, Soroka, Sale, Tyler Molly, Syndergaard, and Severino. So his pitching staff is anchored very well, but then the rest of it's very, very high upside and very, very high risk. Um and then his hitting is um, Freddie Freeman, excellent hitter. And then Bregman in round four, Glaber Torres in round six, Alvarez in round five, all hoping for bounce backs. Um, and then you got Jonathan VR, who's a free agent in round nine. Who the fuck knows what's going to go on with him? Um, and then you got Kalenic, Benintendi, Andrew Vaughn as your hitters. Um, so this is an interesting team to, to sort of look at. Um, and then the other two players he has are, and he spent a high amount of draft capital on catchers. We got Will Smith and Travis Denard. So um, if you look at his team, he's got great catching. He's got no closers. He's got really, really high upside starting pitching. And he's got um, two players with no MLB experience. And, um, yeah, so this is going to be, this team is going to be either, I think, really, really, really good or really, 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 really bad. And I think the team will obviously, um, this team will obviously be better as the season goes on, but I think you're almost locked into a slow start and then you're going to be playing catch up. Um... And you know what? Some of these players that he took, like I'm not knocking it in any way. I'm just they're players that I weren't that I wasn't ready to take that early in this draft, having the experience from last year. Puig was taken in round 18 at pick 265. Don't know what the hell's happening with him, but that's a that's an upside play, of course. Evan White was taken in round 17. <clears throat> Looking at his Statcast pages, looks looks pretty nice actually. I think if I remember correctly. But he's getting 
after a very, very disappointing la- um, previous season, he's actually still going higher than he was last year. I think his ADP must have been around 400 last year. Um, now he's at 255. So that's definitely betting on the come. Um, Austin Hayes, he sort of like he saw a lot of the, a lot of the guys that went like in the pick two hundreds and three hundreds last year that play outfield like your Jesse Winker, Ian Happ, even Randall Gritchick, Will Myers, um, Trent Grisham. All those guys moved way 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 up, um, and I and I saw outfield was sort of by pick two hundred dwindling to um, from players that I didn't want to draft anymore. Like you saw. Kevin Pillar getting drafted at pick 236. Now, um, his playing time is definitely in question, but Austin Hayes at pick 244 was something that stuck out at me as a nice pick. Um, maybe a forgotten guy. Um, I didn't, I, I had, I, I had him in my, on my radar there. That was a very nice pick um, relative to the other guys going around um, round or two or three earlier than that. Corey Kluber went at pick 218. Um, I did read that there's a potential that he's not going to be ready by next year, um, but um, at that at that point in the draft, hmm, okay. Drew Pomeranz went at pick two twenty six. Um, let's see. I want to see where Devin Williams went. Devin Williams went at pick two hundred seven. He's supposed to be fine, so he's a guy that I could see moving up. Um, come draft time. Um, and let's close off by just looking at the relief pitchers. Close things off. So the first relief pitcher off the board that's really a relief pitcher. Well, Zach Zach Plezak says he's a relief pitcher, but that's a fucking lie. Um, it looks like it's Liam Hendricks before Josh Hader went at the first for the first pick of the of the, uh, the fifth round. And then you saw Hader go later on in that round. Sounds about right. Then you don't see anything happen until round seven, where you saw a lot of closers come off. Brad Hand, Jansen, Diaz. And then round eight, round eight went Colome, Chapman, Iglesias, Rosenthal, Osuna. And then um, going all the way to round 10, you saw Nick Anderson go. 11, Taylor Rogers. And nothing, nothing, nothing. No one, that's sort of a, that was sort of a, a end of a tier. And then in round 13, along goes hand in hand with me saying that I don't really trust Osuna. Ryan, Pl- Ryan Pressey went, which is <clears throat> this player's first closer. So that sure shows to that sort of goes to show you that that really some players don't want to invest in in relief pitcher capital this early, and are just going to start throwing throwing. Um, well, this guy he'll call it a dart throw. Whoever the guy that took him here. He'll start throwing darts because that's what he calls them um, in the later rounds. Uh, and then in round 14, Richard Rodriguez, um, great peripherals, uh, went in round 14. Then you said Devin Williams, someone that as of now doesn't have a closer role. Then Stefan Crichton um, in round 14, Karinchak, and then Gallegos, Lugo, Melanson. Into round 16, you got Drew Tromerans, who... Shouldn't have a closer role, I don't think, um, going in, but should have great ratios. And then you have Montero on Texas. I can see him getting supplanted. Um, Daniel Hudson, terrible ERA, but they love him. Jeffress, round 17. And then 
The only other closer taken so far is Hector Neris. So that's your um, closer recap. So I think we'll end it off there. Still uh, went a bit longer than I... I, I'm trying to keep these podcasts this year definitely under an hour because I did a terrible job last year uh, making them go too long and then talking about all this bullshit with um, whoever I had on. But um, I'll serenade you with um, our intro music as outro music. San Diego loves the Padres. San Diego loves the Padres. Now I welcome everybody to the NL West, where the SD Padres about to prove they the best. Dodger fans act hard, but we know you're all pressed. That many hopped on the five and drove south when he left. We're America's finest city, you're full of smog and ash. When the Chargers moved to group, you just picked our trash. In Petco, the nicest place you've ever seen. Feeling like I'll get stabbed outside Chavez Ravine. I've seen three year olds try to eat their own play dough, but they still choke less than Kershaw. I was looking at the forecast, hold on here. Tatiso turned 2022 an El Nino year. It's all good, you could call me a chump. At least I ain't Bellinger going through a slump. Ah, uh, Dodger dogs make me have to think a dog. When you're leaving Slam Diego, this the song will Slam Diego loves the Padres. Slam Diego loves the Padres. When it comes to our Mexican food, LA can't beat us. Just ask my man Trev Rosendahl, order in at Lolita's. We got Haas and Cronin, Will and Fam. You got the league's highest payroll, but still can't win, man. My boy Tatis said we bout to take the cake, hitting doubles like Jake the Rake. In 1957, we like you better than Pick up your franchise and move back, back to Brooklyn Come on, get with the program Tell Kelly I drop a diss off his beat I'm a real man Y'all know I'm a real fan Last time Grish hit that ball from here to Iran Say what you say, give me that roster from AJ Managed by my boy Senior Tinglet From Grant to Orsillo Don't mess with Slim Diego Tell Mookie this one's for the real go Tony Gwynn